Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Benicia Historical Museum CamelCast, providing a camel's eye view of California history. I'm your host, Maureen Williams, and today we are joined once again by Dr. Jim Lessinger to continue our discussion of Rancho Suscal's revolutionary religious and homestead history. Now, at the end of the last episode, we were talking about the land grants and how Mariano Vallejo received not only the Petaluma and Suscal ranchos, but Rancho Sassoon, which was actually granted to Chief Solano, but was really a front for Vallejo. So now what was the next big step for the rancho? Well, in 1846, Robert Baylor Simple arrived on the scene. He arrived in California via a overland wagon train. He was a mountaineer, and he was also California's first newspaper reporter publisher, and editor. He was also a dentist. He worked as an attorney and a medical doctor, and he was a developer. Now, Simple participated in the Bear Flag Revolt of 1846, which is how he met Vallejo. And Vallejo called him Buen Oso, which is the good bear. So anyway, Simple was looking for an investment, and he looked at several places, primarily in what is now the Martinez area. But the families over there weren't willing to deal for dollars. So he approached Vallejo and cut a deal with Vallejo to purchase a chunk of land in the Rancho Suscal. Now, also Vallejo was creating a city named Vallejo at the same time with his son-in-law, Colonel Frisbee. Now, Vallejo needed a ferry across the Carcanus Straits in order to make his town of Vallejo solvent, workable. And in in Simple, he found a good deal. He found a buyer for his land, and he found, most importantly, someone who was going to start a ferry, which was badly needed. There was other parts of the deal, $500 in coin, the promise to name the town after his wife, Francesca, ferry service across the Carcanus Straits, as I said, and schools to be financed from the profits of the ferries. So there was a long agreement, and we have that agreement on our website. You can read that agreement today. Things were running pretty well. The documents were written. They left a space because they weren't really sure what to name it. And finally, when San Francisco named itself San Francisco from Yerba Buena, they named the town Benicia after Vallejo's wife, Francesca Maria Felipa Benicia Carrillo de Vallejo. Say that backwards three That's times. quite a mouthful. So at any rate, Simple was the developer. And like all developers, he developed it with other people's money. <laughs> so he found uh, some silent investors named Bethel Phelps. He found a not-so-silent investor, Thomas Larkin. And at the time, Larkin was the richest man in California. So he started developing his town of Benicia. And of course, the first thing to do was a survey, and he hired Jasper O'Farrell to come over and do that, and the Barlow Company to uh, produce a map. And that map still exists. We have a couple copies here in the museum, and it is online. So that's where we're at. When did the army come to town? The, the army came to the Rancho Soscal in 1846, mm-hmm. at much the same time as Simple was cutting his deal with Vallejo. 
And what happened was that a recent West Point graduate named uh, Lieutenant James A. Hardy was sent to California in 1846 to organize the army on the Pacific coast. This was after the end of the Mexican War. This was uh, part of the uh, Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Hardy was made a temporary captain. He joined the 3rd Artillery Regiment in San Francisco, and his mission was to select Army facilities. He came to Venetia for a couple of reasons. One was the land in San Francisco was very expensive. More importantly, remember, it was just the War of 1812, some 30 years before, that the British had invaded the United States and captured and burned Washington, D.C., So there is a lot of sensitivity to having an army post, particularly a logistics post, right there on the coast and be vulnerable. And most importantly, of course, was the land was free. Simple cut a deal with Hardy to give the land to the army. And Simple was smart about this because he realized he needed to have something to draw people to his new development. And that was it, the army. So in 1846, the army cut the deal. In 1847, they came in and purchased the property legally with documents, and they also started the cavalry post at that time. Interestingly enough, William Tecumseh Sherman did the first survey of this area. Now, he was never a commander of the arsenal, but he did the survey. And uh, then army and cavalry and infantry units populated the property. So that was the beginning of what was then the... Arsenal? Well, they called it at that time the military reservation. Ah, okay. And there were three components. There is the cavalry post, which was just like on TV. It didn't have a stockade, but otherwise it was like on TV, like she wore a yellow ribbon. Okay. And then there is the arsenal, buildings we're in right now. It was uh, for munitions, basically, and weapons. And then there is a quartermaster depot, which was a big set of wooden buildings down where Arts Benicia is now sitting. Each one was run separately. They call it the military reservation, but they're all run separately until 1922. And what happened after the American conquest of 1846? Well, a lot of things happened. For one thing, California went into a four-year limbo. Okay? It was no longer Mexican. It now belonged to the United States, but it wasn't a state. Okay? Yeah. So basically what it was was a military department, military martial law. Well, military is not set up for that. So there was this intermediary time. And uh, and finally, in 1849, California organized itself into a state. Then in 1850, California joined the Union. Did you notice that I said it was a state before Before it joined joined the the Union? Union. Right. Yes. That's Yeah, that's a good question for cocktail parties. (laughs) (laughs) The thing was, after that, after California joined the Union, then came the commission, the land commission, to certify the land rights of the Mexicans and their their land grants. And this was part of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. And this was nothing new for the United States. This was not the first time that they had assumed foreign lands. Right. So what happened was uh, Rancho Sosca became case number 318ND, and it went through the Land Commission, and the Land Commission, of course, sided with Vallejo and said Rancho Sosca belongs 
to Vallejo. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it kind of reminds me of that book, Bleak House by Charles Dickens, where you have John Dash v. John Dash, where there's paperwork flying all over the place. Well, if you go over to the Bancroft Library, you can see this land commission case involving Rancho Soscal. And it went on. There's all kinds of paper. Lawyers made a good fortune off of that case. There was litigation ad nauseum. And what happened was it went into a kind of legal never-never land, okay? Well, just like in Bleak House. <laughs> just like in Bleak House. So what happened was Blayo's ownership of Rancho Soscal was winding its way through the courts. Okay. In the meantime, uh, various people and also uh, various agencies of the United States government were challenging Vallejo's ownership because they wanted to break up these huge pieces of property. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what you had was the settlers. These were the people that had purchased land from Vallejo, like Simple and his investors and his buyers and the people who bought property in Vallejo. And then you had the squatters who said, well, Vallejo doesn't own this land, so we're just going to squat right here. So this goes on until 1861. Oh, wow. And in 1861, there's a decision by the United States Supreme Court, which said that Vallejo had not dotted every I and crossed every T under Mexican law to own the rancho. Quite frankly, I think that was a stretch because he had actually purchased it twice under two different Mexican laws, and he had done everything. But I guess he missed the last document and the last page and last stamp. And the dissenting opinion from this U.S. Supreme Court is just really just blistering. So anyway, the case led to the Suscal principle. And this was the principle that governed United States land claims on former foreign territories that were taken over by the United States until today. At any rate, this, this was a problem. And so they had to have a workaround. So Frisbee jumps into action. Now Frisbee, Colonel Frisbee, was a lawyer. And he does what lawyers do, and that's to sue and to manipulate and to lobby. So he goes back to Washington, D.C. Now on the lawsuit side, Frisbee actually won 14 lawsuits in the Supreme Court. Wow. And on the lobbying side, he negotiated with members of Congress to pass a preemption act. Now, it took a couple of years to get the preemption act negotiated. And there were a lot of stumbling blocks. Because really, there were a lot of people who resented the size of California. Mm -hmm. They resented the fact that California had popped out on its own. And they want everything broken up into small little farms. That's the way that Jefferson had pictured the United States. Finally, after two years of negotiation, the preemption law is passed. And what exactly was the, the preemption act, the, the preemption law? The preemption act is that owners, settlers, who purchased the land before the Supreme Court decision were preempt that land and could obtain from the United States government, a patent on the land. So they're saying that the settlers who came in and originally bought from Vallejo, that was their land. That was Even their land. Even though they said that Vallejo didn't really own it in the first place. Exactly. But he did. So it was basically an end run around the Supreme Court. And as we know, that's been done quite a bit in American history. What happens is this. There's a land war. 
I mean, a real honest-to-God land war. There weren't really killings. There weren't murders. There weren't hangings. It's just that Frisbee hired a bunch of regulators to come in and drive the squatters off the land. Now, what really happened was Frisbee would bribe them to leave. Say, here's a hundred bucks, you get the hell out of here. More often what happened was Frisbee would say, you want a mortgage? So Frisbee would sell the land to the squatters who would sign a mortgage. And so you go over to the recorder's office here in Solano County, and you can see where these mortgages are executed. They're duly recorded. And a lot of these uh, squatters paid off their their loans, their mortgages. Frisbee was a very bright man because he turned what could have been a very nasty, ugly situation into a money-making opportunity. So would it be safe to say that because of the Preemption Act and because of what Frisbee did with or for the squatters, that just about everybody who thought they had a claim to the land actually wound up with their land? Pretty much so. And if the squatters left, they left with some money in their pocket. And were able to find someplace else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So at any rate, Vallejo and Frisbee and uh, Semple really are the ones that subdivided and created the towns that we have today. And over the next 30 or 40 years, the United States government issued patents on every piece of land. It was an expensive process. The federal government wanted payment for the patents for processing the paperwork, mm-hmm. just like a document processing fee. And then also they had to come up with a survey. Now, everything had been done according to the Barlow maps, which was basically a big giant Roman square, and that's what Benicia is. Well, the government went everything in meets and bounds, and rods and degrees. So they had to convert one system to the other system, and that took a little bit of time to do. They eventually got it done. It was expensive, but they finally got it done. The last lawsuit from the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo in California was finally adjudicated in 1943. Wow. Yeah, it took that long to finally settle out all of the problems. And quite frankly, if they had let the Land Commission's decision stand, The Land Commission depended a lot on what the Mexicanos, the Californios, thought was the boundaries. And if they relied on the Land Commission's decisions, they could have had this decided a long time earlier. So it took nearly 100 years to get everything settled. Yeah, for all the dust to settle from the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. So at any rate, we now have arrived at the point where we have a Rancho Suscal, which has now been subdivided into ranches in at least two towns, Vallejo and Benicia. And it has a military reservation that in 1863, President Lincoln reserved for the United States government. And the Rancho still lives in street names and place names and in mounds of documents filed in archives as a memory to this huge legal battle that occurred. Well, thank you, Jim, for giving us a little rundown on the history of Rancho Suscal and how it started and what it became. It's a story about what happened to all the ranchos in California. And there's a certain romance to the Mission Ranchos. It was a time of great flux. And California then is now did things its own way. You know, the 1849 Constitutional Convention in Monterey 
was a, a new thing for the United States because they set their own boundaries. Instead of having Congress set the boundaries of the state, they set their own boundaries. And that totally upset the apple cart as far as the balance of power in the country. And ironically, one can make the argument that it was a mistake for California to do that. Because instead of having six senators, we have two. Mm, you see? True. So this territory we now call California would have more political power if they had balanced out the boundaries they were in doing in the rest of the country. On the other hand, it has more economic power being one big chunk. So there you are. So it just shows that like so many other things that have happened in Benicia and this area, it's really a microcosm of what has happened in California history. Correct. Well, that is all the time we have today. Thank you again for finishing up our history of Rancho Suscal. We invite you to visit the museum website at www.benishahistoricalmuseum.org to listen to other podcast episodes and view images in our online archives. Be sure to stop by the museum at 2060 Camel Road. You could find our days and hours of operation on our website and social media. You can also donate online and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember... The history of California is written in the story of Benicia.